Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry. Clay Lowry serves as the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. For this episode, I'll be talking about some of the pressing issues facing Europe, including the current war in the region, Europe's economic prospects, and the push for a green transition. Before I dive into this topic, I did want to follow up on an episode we aired a few weeks ago on the French elections. At the beginning of April, I interviewed Guillaume de Calion, an economic journalist for Le Echo, about this year's election in France and the key issues on the minds of French voters. The elections, which everyone expected, went into a second round of voting between frontrunners Macron and Le Pen, with Macron coming out victorious by securing roughly 59% of the votes, which was actually somewhat closer than the 2017 elections. So while French elections were clearly on the minds of Europeans, the biggest issue, obviously, continues to be the Russia-Ukraine war. Europe's economy is being hit hard by this war, as it has added plenty of uncertainty, and Europe relies heavily on Russia for oil and gas imports. In fact, this week, the EU announced its plans to impose a total ban on all Russian imports by the end of 2022 as part of its sixth package of sanctions targeting Russia. These sanctions would take place in phases, with oil imports being banned after six months and refined petroleum products by the end of 2022. But there is a catch. Negotiations are still underway as of the recording of this podcast because countries such as Hungary and Slovakia have requested an exemption from the ban for now, citing concerns around time and funding for their oil infrastructure. It is noteworthy that Germany, which is one of the biggest voices of caution in previous discussions around an oil ban, has said that it is supportive. I would add that natural gas was left out of this round of sanctions, but the European Commission has tightened its sanctions regime around some of Russia's largest financial institutions, as well as doing the oil embargo. Since the start of the invasion in February, Europe has paid Russia over 14 billion euros for oil, and half of Russia's 4.7 million barrels of crude produced per day are purchased by Europe, with Germany, Poland, and the Netherlands being the biggest buyers. Cutting off oil imports could certainly hit the Russian economy hard. However, Europe will also have to brace itself for skyrocketing energy prices across the continent and the need to find a replacement for over 25% of total European oil consumption that comes from Russia. The possibility of Russia redirecting the supply of oil to other countries, such as India and China, is still a concern, as we've discussed on previous episodes, to the effectiveness of this sanctions regime. There has been active diplomatic effort by the EU and the US to bring India on board with sanctioning Russia, but India at this point in time still remains uninvolved. This leads me to my second topic, which is the decline in Europe's economic prospects. Due to the economic slowdown from the war, along with the slowdowns in China and the United States, Europe's growth may be lower than originally expected for 2022. The European economy is weak, and the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict, in tandem with the continuing battle with COVID-19, do not make for optimistic prospects looking forward. Beyond Europe's reliance on Russia for oil and the increasing energy prices, the war is driving up other commodity prices in Europe, 
such as food. And Eurozone inflation has hit a record high since the Eurozone existed at 7.5%. The combination of factors has led IIF economists to predict that Europe's economy will decline significantly in 2022 and is actually likely to fall into recession. In other words, we could be looking at stagflation. Stagflation, by the way, is essentially no economic growth, but plenty of inflation. This puts the European Central Bank into a quite difficult position. They are going to be grappling with a major question. Should they increase interest rates for the first time since 2011? On the back of this record-breaking inflation, markets are already pricing in such a scenario. As we see countries in Europe that have the worst debt dynamics and poorest growth prospects see their bond spreads widen. In other words, markets are worried that they will not be that the European Central Bank will no longer be providing them as much assistance in the future. On the other hand, the European Central Bank may be a lot more cautious than the Federal Reserve is in terms of raising interest rates because of this decline in growth. And that is the dilemma. Which poison do they pick? All of these factors lead toward Europe facing at this juncture what Moody's has labeled a trilemma, namely the need to deal with the aforementioned inflation rising commodity prices, secondly, the dependency on energy from Russia, and third, the ability to address climate change and energy security. This leads me to my next topic. While Europe has been a forerunner for years in tackling climate change, the current political moment only heightens the need to reduce dependencies on fossil fuels. The European Green Deal, which was created in 2019, sets out a goal to reduce net greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% by 2030 on the continent. The deal strives to make the EU a modern, resource-efficient economy that can be competitive but also provided citizens with fresh air, clean water, healthy soil, and biodiversity. Achieving this will require substantial investments in sustainable projects and activities, as well as a policy framework to support this. This includes tools such as the common taxonomy, which helps create common definitions for trying to think about green activities. But it is also an attempt to combat something called greenwashing. What is greenwashing? It is namely portraying investments and activities as more green than they actually are. That's obviously not a positive thing. Let me step back from the European continent and offer a little perspective on Europe from across the pond here in Washington. One of the first priorities of the Biden administration was to develop a closer relationship with Europe, again, in order to cooperate on issues such as China's role in the world and climate change. This actually was somewhat undermined last year by the U.S. handling of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. In some respects, though, it has been repaired this year. Essentially, the the person who repaired it most is named Vladimir Putin. His actions have caused the EU and the U.S. to rally around NATO with a commitment not seen since probably the Cold War. What remains to be seen is whether this unity of purpose will translate into a longer-term improvement in the transatlantic relationship particularly on the economic front. One of the most significant deteriorations of the EU and U.S. relationship during the Trump administration was on the trade front, and that has not yet been fully repaired. The Biden administration remains reluctant to move too much on that front, largely for domestic political reasons, 
But could there be improvement on areas such as standards, particularly in a post-Brexit environment? Let me do the three, two, one. One, the European economy is clearly declining, driven by a Russia-Ukraine conflict. Second, the ECB faces a difficult decision going forward, especially with balancing inflation and the aforementioned economic contraction. And three, the Russia-Ukraine crisis has, at least on the surface level, repaired the US-EU relationship, but it remains to be seen whether this is a long or a short-term development. The two things I'm watching out for are, I'm keeping an eye on just how far the Europeans will go with regard to embargoes, and whether or when natural gas, which so far, as I said earlier, has not been included in sanctions package, will be added to the list. I'm also looking forward to the IIF's European Summit, which will be held both in person and virtually on May 11th in Brussels. During this summit, there will be discussions around the topics discussed today, as well as a number of other topics, and we'll also be hearing the views from the C-suite and conversations with European policymakers. My one sports topic today is the incredible achievements of Jackie Hunt Beresma, who ran 104 marathons in 104 days. Jackie was born and raised in South Africa, but now lives in Arizona. She has set a new unofficial world record and her motivation to simply see if she could do it. She settled on the 104 number following British runner Kate Jaden, then record-breaking achievement last month of 101 marathons in 101 days. So over those 104 days, she ran 2,724 miles, which by the way is roughly the distance from New York City to San Francisco, California. Let me add, by the way, that Jackie is 46 years old, and she lost part of her leg 20 years ago to a very unusual cancer. So she runs on a prosthetic. Clearly, this is an incredible achievement. Anecdotally, I remember when I was growing up that it was considered extremely impressive if pro runners could run three marathons in one year. So the idea of running 104 marathons in 104 days is uh, unbelievable. The solo nature of Jackie's achievements raises a, shall I call it, a philosophical question. Is competition inherent to sports? As a sports fan, it is the competitive aspect that defines sports to me. The aspect of rallying around a shared goal and finding achievement through winning against others, whether in individual or in team sports. When you have nobody to win against, is it an expansion of the definition of sports to compete against oneself and oneself only? One could think of it as somewhat lonely to remove this inherently communal dimension of competing against others. But it is also, in some regards, a positive thing to compete for the sake of self-improvement or to bring in more people to sports by removing the aspect of comparison. Whatever the case, Jackie and Kate Jaden's achievements are phenomenal. By the way, I understand that Jackie, in about two weeks, is going to try for a 240-mile marathon. Boy. That's it. Thanks again for listening. Hope you'll join me next week for Current Account with Clay Lowry. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at IIF.com. Please make sure to tune in next Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.